there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Francisco Sarabia tapped the glass of his compass once again, trying to knock the magnetized needle back into place. Only a few moments before, the compass had been showing a course due northeast. Now it was lazily drifting, swinging from north to west to southwest and back. An aviator, Francisco had decided to take his propeller plane out for a flight over the Chihuahuan Desert in northern Mexico. Just minutes into the flight, his compass had seemingly broken, and now his radio had begun malfunctioning as well. Static filled the cockpit as he flipped between frequencies. Outside the window was another nondescript stretch of desert, indistinguishable from any other piece of desert in northern Mexico. Francisco shielded his eyes from the sun and peered across the horizon, trying to see if he recognized any of the small mountains dotting the ground below. Unaware which direction he was heading, Francisco was forced to set the plane down on the flat desert surface. He tried his radio, but now nothing at all was coming in. The compass had begun whirling like a dervish, spinning wildly on its metal axis. Francisco clambered out of his plane to take a good look at the desert around him. As he gazed across the sand, he saw nothing familiar. As his radio finally cut out, he heard nothing but silence. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Molly. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to ParCast.com merch for more information. You can find all previous episodes of Unexplained Mysteries, as well as all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. This is our first episode on La Zona del Silencio, or the Zone of Silence. 
a small patch of desert in northern Mexico, the zone first came to public attention when aviator Francisco Sarabia was forced to land there in the 1930s. The area is called the Zone of Silence for its tendency to scramble compasses, radio signals, and cell signals. This week, we'll explore the strange biology of the zone and the many unusual happenings that have been reported there. Next week, we'll discuss possible explanations for why the Zone of Silence has such a strange reputation. Depictions of Mexico in TV and movies often focus on brown expanses of dirt and sand. But Mexico is actually host to a wide variety of natural environments, from jungles to cenotes. There's a lot of natural beauty in the country. One of Mexico's many protected natural areas is the Mapimi Biosphere Reserve in the Chihuahuan Desert. At the meeting of the states of Chihuahua, Durango, and Coahuila lies a small 30-mile area of desert. A pair of mountains, Las Tetas de Juana, shoot up from the center. This is the zone of silence, which may seem like just another desolate spot in the 400,000 hectares of the Chihuahuan Desert. But as Francisco Sarabia and many others can tell you, the zone is anything but ordinary. Located on the 27th parallel, the zone has been connected to other mystical areas by its geography. It sits in very close longitudinal alignment to both the Great Pyramids of Giza and the infamous Bermuda Triangle. The zone also sits at the edge of the Bolson de Mapimi, a large depression in the desert that retains moisture and thus has a richer variety of soil-dwelling organisms. Millions of years ago, during the Mesozoic era, this entire area was deep under the ancient sea of Tethys. As a result, the zone is a hotbed for marine fossils and contains large salt deposits. The zone of silence's strangeness is first noticeable in the plants and animals that thrive there. The edges of the zone are dotted with green nopal cactuses, a typical site in the Chihuahuan Desert. But as you venture further in, you'll find towering cacti with pink and purple skin. Foot-long centipedes and beetles three times their normal size make tiny tracks in the sand. As the sun beats down, albino snakes and lizards search for cover from its unforgiving rays. Over 30 species of plants are endemic to the zone, and it's also home to 75 species of protected animals, including the rare tailless gopher tortoise. Many people who live in the nearby town of Sabayos, 25 miles from the zone, believe the area also has healing properties. Random blood samples taken from zone locals showed them to have a greater level of overall health than similar communities outside the zone. In a 2016 interview with Atlas Obscura, Benjamin Palacios, a rancher from Ceballos, spoke about how he and his family never get sick. His wife, Chacha, spoke about their daughter's sudden fertility when she entered the zone. The zone has been good to our family, Chacha said to the interviewer. Our daughter, Alejandra, and her husband could not have children. They tried everything, went to all the doctors. Then they came to the zone and conceived. Two years later, they returned and conceived again. The zone seems to be a site steeped in superstition. But what the area is really known for 
is the strange tricks it plays on compasses, radios, cell phones, and other equipment. In fact, that's how it first got its name. Augusto Harry de la Pena, his blonde hair plastered to his head in the heat, wiped at his brow with an already sweat-soaked cotton handkerchief. It was 1966, and de la Pena was heading an expedition deep into the scrubby expanse of the Chihuahuan Desert. The expedition, organized by the Pemex Oil Company, hoped to find a place to run an oil pipeline through the desert to the city of Jimenez. Like aviator Francisco Sarabia before him, Augusto was having trouble with the CB radio. He tried desperately to notify his team of his location, but all he could hear was white noise crackling and fizzing over the airwaves. In his report back to Pemex, Augusto was the first to refer to the place as La Zona del Silencio. As you can probably tell, that translates to the Zone of Silence. From then on, the name stuck. Augusto returned to the spot several more times over the years in an effort to pinpoint the source of the disruption. What he found was surprising. The radio anomalies weren't occurring at a fixed point. Instead, the dead zones were continually shifting around the larger zone of silence itself, and no one could figure out what was causing this. For much of the 20th century, the zone's legend was mostly local. But the zone of silence garnered international attention after July 11, 1970. That day, the scientists at the U.S. Air Force in Green River, Utah, had planned meticulously for a rocket launch. The mission was scientific in nature. They were going to launch an Athena-class rocket into the upper atmosphere. The rocket was loaded with certain chemicals and scientific instruments, and the main goal of the mission was to test the effect of atmospheric re-entry on different compounds. It was a complicated endeavor that required the resources of both the Air Force and the Army. Still, no one involved was too concerned. The military had successfully launched Athena rockets on similar experimental missions for years. The rocket would breach the atmosphere and then reverse course as it orbited the Western Hemisphere before coming down for a landing in White Sands, New Mexico. At first, the launch went as planned. After a successful liftoff, the scientists and Air Force researchers at command breathed a collective sigh of relief. Their smiles, however, soon turned to tightly clenched grimaces as their radar screens began to show the trajectory of the rocket. Something was wrong. Instead of heading towards White Sands, the Athena had drifted off course and was now pointed straight at northern Mexico. As the Air Force tracked the rocket through the night, they watched it travel more than 400 miles south of its intended course and crash land at two in the morning, smack in the middle of the Chihuahuan Desert. The researchers didn't know it yet, but the area it had landed in was the zone of silence. The incident had the potential to be an international disaster. Among the various scientific materials on board the rocket was a capsule of the radioactive isotope Cobalt-57. The United States had unintentionally dropped a radioactive missile on a foreign country. They turned to their most brilliant mind to figure out how to fix the mistake. Well, of course, it all began in 1927 
when a number of people found that the society, which is usually called the German Rocket Society, its real name was Verein für Raumschifffahrt, which means Society for Space Travel. I must say that our sights were set high from the very outset. The person you hear talking is Werner von Braun, a brilliant aerospace engineer and rocket scientist. Von Braun already had a storied career by 1970. A celebrated rocket scientist, von Braun had helped design and develop the V-2 rocket, the world's first long-range guided ballistic missile. Von Braun had already left his fingerprints on world history by 1970. After developing rocket weaponry for the Nazis during World War II, he was recruited by the American military after the end of the war as part of Operation Paperclip. As one of the founding scientists of NASA, von Braun had been integral in the development of U.S. space technology and had played a large role in the 1969 moon landing. Wernher von Braun was known around NASA as a man who got things done. If NASA had accidentally shot a rocket with a radioactive payload into Mexico, von Braun was the man to take care of the cleanup. We'll discuss the fallout and the cleanup after this. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now, back to this unexplained mystery. It was 1970, and rocket scientist Werner von Braun had been flying for hours across the Chihuahuan Desert. Even with tinted goggles... The long exposure to the bright sun reflecting off the desert below had begun to make his eyes feel pained and weary. Still, he kept his eyes on the sand, trying to make out any irregularity among the scrub that could point to a missile crash site. Citizens of the nearby town of Ceballos had reported coming across the wreckage in an area of the desert some of the locals had called La Zona del Silencio. However, since it was a tiny patch in a vast desert, Werner was having trouble finding the actual zone. As Werner and his pilot approached the bios, their instruments started to give off strange readings. The radio faded in and out, and the altimeter seemed to show the Cessna hopping up and down in altitude by thousands of feet at a time. As the pilot attempted to get the plane's instruments back under control, Werner suddenly shouted in surprise. He had spotted it. The Athena rocket wreckage was spread out across the desert. It covered a sizable area of the desert, and von Braun knew then it would take a large team to clean up the whole thing quickly. Under Werner von Braun's watchful eye, the retrieval ran like a top-secret operation. Von Braun had hired 300 Mexican workers to build a 10-mile-long rail spur to bring supplies into the zone. With this spur, Von Braun brought in temporary dormitories, labs, 
kitchens, and medical facilities for the American scientists and workers retrieving the rocket. The U.S. military hired a group of local Ceballos men to guard the missile during the retrieval process and paid them well to keep the Mexican military away from the site. For 28 days in 1970, a small city was operating with military precision in the center of the zone of silence. The Mexican government had granted the United States permission to recover the wreckage, though it is unlikely the United States was totally transparent with what the rocket contained. In addition to retrieving the rocket debris and the radioactive cobalt-57 isotope, Von Braun's team collected and removed almost 20 tons of soil and plants from the area. Some of the soil was removed to clean up any radiation that may have leaked out from the rocket. But it's also possible that Von Braun, intrigued by the strange cacti and animals surrounding his camp, decided to bring back samples from the zone to study. According to military records, nothing too out of the ordinary happened to the Americans while they were out in the desert. If you put stock in the local legends, however, the Americans found the zone strange and disorienting. According to the stories, radio signals were constantly interrupted or wouldn't work at all. Television and satellite signals were also disrupted. The American scientists could barely communicate with each other, much less with their superiors back at NASA. The most mysterious thing throughout all of this was the cause of the crash. The zone was over 400 miles away from the Athena's designated landing site. Despite months of excavation and investigation, NASA was never able to conclusively say why the Athena rocket strayed and landed in the zone of silence. A few years later, Americans returned to the zone once more after one of the Saturn boosters used on the Apollo space project broke up over it. A team was sent down ostensibly to pick up the pieces, but reportedly they actually had the mission of investigating the strange natural properties Von Braun's earlier mission discovered in the zone. Maybe it isn't coincidental that rockets seem to be so drawn to the zone of silence. If one listens to the local lore, the area is apparently a hotspot for alien activity. In 1976, just a few years after the Athena rocket crashed in the zone, something otherworldly happened in the zone of silence. It was a warm September night, the desert cooling from the blistering daytime sun. Residents of Ceballos, the small town just outside the zone, were settling down to bed. Many of them were ranchers and had spent most of the day out doing chores in the heat. A little before 9 p.m., the village was roused by a cacophony. Dogs were barking and howling across the village. Cows were mooing in their fields. Some families' roosters even began to crow, though the sunrise was still hours away. As the residents came out of their homes, looking for the source of the disturbance, they noticed a strange, colorful hue to the normally pale moonlight. One by one, the villagers all looked up in search of the strange light. Directly above the village, they saw it. A massive, rectangular object floating high above Ceballos. The rectangle, almost 1,000 feet long, had a curved top and white, blue, and green lights pulsing around its edges. This was the source of the strange light shining down on the village. 
Witnesses to the Ceballos incident would later say they could hear a deep hum coming from the bowels of the rectangular ship. The townspeople began to feel the sensation of being watched. As they stared up at the rectangle, the hair on the backs of their necks and arms began to stand up. Something was staring back at them. Just as suddenly as the rectangular ship arrived, it zoomed off into the night. It was unmistakable where the ship was headed, deep into the heart of La Zona del Silencio. The chief of police in Ceballos at the time, Chief Chaparro, claimed that he reported the incident to authorities in Durango immediately after it happened. However, he never heard anything more from them regarding the rectangle in the sky. It may not be all that unusual that the Durango authorities never looked into the rectangular ship above Ceballos. According to local reports, strange lights in the sky are an everyday occurrence for the people close to the zone of silence. Witnesses often report fireballs appearing in the sky above the zone. Sometimes there are even flames coming down the sides of the mountains that dot the zone, like fiery tumbleweeds rolling to the desert floor. Many times, racing points of light in the night sky have been reported as performing intricate, high-speed aerial routines around each other. Some of these lights even shoot upward from the desert floor. Ranchers in the area traditionally make periodic rides to protect their cattle at night. The men have reported regularly seeing the dancing lights and floating orbs out in the zone during these night rides, as often as multiple times a week. Hector Lopez Loera, a Ph.D. and professor of geophysics at the National Autonomous University of Mexico in Mexico City, has studied the phenomenon. After collecting dozens of eyewitness accounts of strange lights in the sky, Dr. Lopez Loera believes that alien activity is rampant in the zone. Some theorists go even further. Among the more outlandish beliefs is the theory that the zone of silence is a magnetic grid point, a portal where the Earth's energy has become concentrated. And the reason for this focal energy is, in fact, aliens. These grid points are said to be leftovers from ancient aliens or astronauts visiting the Earth. Theorists believe that the zone of silence serves as an entryway for these aliens to return either by acting as a beacon for their ships or by opening a wormhole for them to travel right to the spot. Deeper out in the desert, there are reports of strange beings interacting with the locals. Many times over the years, people traveling across the desert claim to have been approached by tall, blonde people, specifically a trio of them. The blonde people, a woman and two men, are called Nordics by UFO researchers. They have the same M.O. each time they venture out from the zone. Desert residents who meet them all claim they speak in perfect Spanish and will ask politely for water. They never ask for food and refuse it when it's offered. When asked where they come from, they only reply that they come from above. The Nordics then disappear back towards the zone of silence. They leave nothing, not even a footprint. Antonio Ribera, a Spanish researcher and ufologist, claimed that similar Nordics appeared in other desert or mountain locales around the world. The Nordics were spotted in the Pyrenees, where they would ask humans they came across for bread and milk. 
these Pyrenees Nordics would pay their human hosts with small gold nuggets. Strange, tall, white-haired people who lived in the wilderness have also been reported in the Sierra Nevada mountains in California. These Nordics would come down from the mountains once in a while to barter with the townspeople in the valley. Known as the Lemurians, these Nordics were either descendants from a lost race of superior sapiens or alien visitors, depending on which conspiracy theory you subscribe to. On October 13, 1975, amateur fossil hunters Ernesto and Josefina Diaz drove down the packed dirt road into the zone of silence to look for fossils. Ernesto and Josefina had only been digging for a few hours when they felt the first raindrops. Dropping everything, they raced to get all their equipment packed into their pickup. They weren't fast enough. Before they could get the truck back to the main road, the water had risen to the car's running boards. The desert sand had become a muddy swamp. The Diaz's were stuck. As Ernesto tried in vain to get the pickup out of the mire, Josefina suddenly grabbed his arm in surprise. Out in the deluge, she had spotted two bright flashes of yellow that seemed to be approaching the truck. Two men, both extremely tall and wearing matching bright yellow rain slickers, materialized in the rain. When Josefina made a move to get out of the truck and greet them, the men both frantically gestured for her and Ernesto to stay inside the car. One of the men signaled to Ernesto that they would go back and push the pickup out of the mud. Before Ernesto could even react, he and Josefina could feel the truck surging forward to drier ground, as if a supernaturally strong force was pushing it along. The wheels that had been uselessly spinning in the mud suddenly caught on dry ground, lurching the truck forward. Ernesto slammed on the brakes, causing the truck to come to a sharp stop, its momentum threatening to lift the back wheels off the ground. They had hit dry land. Ernesto, ignoring the strange tall men's instructions to stay in the cab, leaped from the truck to thank them. But when he rounded the back of the truck, no one was there. There were no footprints in the mud beyond the flood, no separate tire tracks, nothing to indicate that anyone other than he and Josefina had ever been in that spot. No flash of yellow marked the flat horizon in any direction, and the closest mountains and rock formations were over a mile away. As suddenly as they had arrived, the two superhumanly strong men had disappeared back into the zone. The Diaz's described the men as very tall and strong, but they were not blonde like the previously reported Nordics. More on the reasons for the strange sightings in the zone of silence after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. 
Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Now more about this unexplained mystery. The zone of silence is a place with a certain energy about it. It has an aura of uncertainty, of mistrust. It's a place where people see and hear incredible things, a kind of unnatural magnet for the weird. The energy, though unmistakable, is difficult to place. Is it something supernatural, endemic to the zone? Is it the power of the zone itself? Or is it coming from outside the zone of silence? Something alien and strange that has taken up residence in an otherwise indistinct patch of Mexican sand. Perhaps the strangest thing about the zone of silence isn't the lights in the sky or the odd people dwelling in the desert. Instead, it's the zone itself. The fact that something about this place makes it generate all of these stories. Today, the zone of silence is an area of study and discovery. Scientists, intrigued by the area's unusual flora, fauna, and mineral makeup, have flocked to the area. Many of these pilgrims are likely motivated by scientific curiosity. But many, more likely, just want to behold the mysterious zone and see if something bizarre happens to them. In 1977, Mexico established the area surrounding the Zone of Silence as part of the Mapimi Biosphere Reserve. The reserve was meant to preserve the environment for the endangered Bolson tortoise, which coincidentally only lives in the Zone of Silence. The Mexican government established a research center called the Biosphere to study the biology of the area. But is that really what goes on in the biosphere? To answer that question, we, like the scientists that work at the biosphere, must go back to the beginning. In this case, that would be the early geological history of the area now known as the Zone of Silence. What is now the Zone used to be under the ancient Sea of Tethys, a saltwater sea that covered the modern-day Chihuahuan Desert. Today, the Zone is littered with marine fossils and salt deposits. Some theorize that when this part of the world was forming, something special may have been happening under the Sea of Tethys. The soil and earth left behind under the layers of sand and fossils have very unique properties that could be causing otherworldly phenomena. Beyond being known for its biological wonders and alien encounters, the Zone of Silence is also a magnet for meteorites. Dozens of meteors that enter the Earth's atmosphere crash yearly in this tiny section of desert. In the mid-20th century, at least three separate, incredibly large meteorites fell near the zone, with two of them even landing on the same ranch. It's not just space debris. Already littered with meteorites, the zone also plays host to crash landings of damaged satellites, spent rocket casings, and other so-called space junk. The Zone of Silence has been observed as having incredibly high levels of magnetite and uranium in its soil. 
This has been theorized as the reason for the disruption of radio and satellite signals in the area. But could it be affecting the zone's magnetic field as well? Some researchers claim that the zone of silence has an electromagnetic field with a pull almost as strong as the North and South Poles. The poles are, by definition, the points on the Earth in which its magnetic field is the strongest. Whether the spot is home to some uniquely magnetic deposit or it hosts an anomaly in the Earth's magnetic field, it's undeniable that the vast majority of meteorites and man-made debris that land in the spot are made of magnetic metals like iron. Instead of studying the Bolson tortoise or the area's strange purple cacti, it could be very possible that the scientists in the biosphere are studying the zone's magnetic properties. After all, it seems that Werner von Braun was doing the same. He ended up transporting 20 tons of soil and rock samples from the Zone of Silence to the White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico for further study. The modern scientists may even be studying the effects of one meteorite in particular, the Allende meteorite that fell in the Zone of Silence on February 8, 1969. The noise from the crash was loud enough to shatter the windows in almost every house in Ceballos. Roused from their sleep by the sound at one in the morning, many residents of the town were so bewildered they were convinced a bomb had gone off. Others immediately fell to their knees to pray, believing the end of the world had finally come. The impact from the meteorite that crashed in the desert in the early hours of February 8th could be felt 100 miles away in Chihuahua City. And citizens of Chihuahua City reported seeing a giant blue and white streak arcing southeast toward the zone of silence. When emergency services were dispatched to Ceballos, they assumed the worst. But instead of total destruction, when they arrived in the town, they found the population shaken but otherwise fine. Not a single resident of Ceballos was injured. That's more than could be said for their shattered windows. What the citizens of Ceballos had experienced was the fall of the Allende meteorite, the largest carbonaceous chondritic meteorite to ever fall on the planet Earth in modern times. In the following clip, astronomer Phil Plate explains chondritic meteorites. Chondrites contain chondrules, small grains of minerals. These are very primitive and are thought to have condensed out of the original disk of material that formed the solar system. Their ages can be found by looking at ratios of elements in them formed from radioactive decay. The oldest known meteorite formed 4.568 billion years ago, before the Earth itself formed. The Allende, originally the size of a car, entered the Earth's atmosphere with a bone-jarring sonic boom in the early hours of February 8, 1969. The meteorite disintegrated as it fell, causing millions of meteorite fragments to scatter over a range of more than 150 square miles, including across the zone of silence. The Allende meteorite is named for El Pueblito de Allende, a small town in the Mexican state of Chihuahua, approximately 100 miles west of the Zone of Silence. This town is where the largest amount of debris from the meteorite was found, more than 200 tons in total. The Allende was an incredibly rare type of meteorite, made up of metals, carbons, hydrocarbons, amino acids, and water. 
It also notably contained aluminum-26, a rare isotope of aluminum formed during the beginning of the universe, contained within the Allende meteorite, were the building blocks of life. The fragments that remain are estimated to be 4.5 billion years old, and many believe the meteorite was created at the same time a supernova formed our solar system. The Allende has become known in scientific communities as the best-studied meteorite in history due to the sheer number of samples available and the unique makeup of the meteorite. Is it a coincidence that this area where so many varied and strange things have occurred is also the impact site for what most astronomers consider the most significant meteor to hit the Earth in modern history? Next week, we'll get into the strongest theories about what is really going on in the zone of silence. Is it just a place where strange things coincidentally happen? Or is there a connecting reason why strange phenomena flock to the 30 square miles of the zone? The zone of silence is home to a lot of things. Strange flora and fauna, radio dead zones, alien sightings, meteorite crashes, otherworldly lights in the sky, Nazi scientists, and endangered tortoises. But no one theory for why the zone is the way it is has been conclusively proven. Our first theory is that the strange events and phenomena in the zone of silence are the perfectly explicable realities of the zone's unique geographic properties, with all anomalies stemming from the unusual mineral composition within the desert soil. The second theory is that everything that happens in the zone is due to extraterrestrial beings that have made the zone of silence their home. From strange lights in the sky to wanderers in the desert, the explanation, while perfectly logical, is something a bit more ethereal. The third theory is that the odd goings-on in the zone are due to a catastrophic event long in its past. Millions of years before the Allende meteorite, a meteorite hundreds of times larger slammed into what is now the zone of silence, changing the area forever. Join us next week to find out more. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back Thursday with part two of The Zone of Silence. For more information on The Zone, amongst the many sources we used, we found an article entitled The Zone of Silence, An Ancient Mystery of Old Mexico by the folks at Gaia, and a fantastic interview by T.E. Wilson at Atlas Obscura, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all previous episodes of Unexplained Mysteries, as well as all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Maggie Admire, and Freddie Beckley. 
This episode was written by Molly Quinlan and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.